This is Church on the Rock, where Jesus is our message and people are our heart. Tune in to hear a teaching that we pray inspires and encourages your life with Christ. Amen. If everybody wants to grab a seat, we'll get started. If you want to turn to Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapter 1 and 2, we're going to be in there today. Um, If you have your inserts, we'll be looking at those inserts and following that somewhat. All right, and also if you have your U version, you can go on there and and in U version, and you can hit what is it we hit in U version? Hit what? More, and then events, and then all this stuff pops up for you. All right, thank you, Lord. We've been on a series, um, it's called A Colorful Selection. We've been in this series for most of the summer, but I've been hitting Nehemiah. This will be the third sermon on Nehemiah. I encourage you to go to the website, cotrag.org, and uh, catch up on the two sermons if you missed them, because it'll kind of build up to where we're at today. Um, But we know that Nehemiah was in a land a thousand miles away, and he was a cupbearer to a king. Um, He was a cupbearer bearer to a king that was a, uh, a rebel, a person that didn't know the Lord, uh, a, 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 a person that just is without the Lord. But anyway, Nehemiah was in a land, in a foreign land. He was under the captivity of his enemy. And his brother came by and some of his friends, and they said, hey, have you heard what's going on in Jerusalem? He said, no, what's going on in Jerusalem? He said, the gates are burned, the walls are broken down, the people are in ruin, the people are depressed, they're oppressed, there, there's nothing going right in, that, in, in Jerusalem. God isn't, God and the, through the rubble. So though it was still dark, I went up to the Kidred Valley instead, inspecting the wall before I turned back and entered into the valley gate. But notice Nehemiah went right to the serpent's well. He went right past the dung well to the enemy's gates where the Bible says the the gates were still burning. He went right to, you might say, the center core or the origin of where the problem originated. He went right to the center of evil, the stronghold, past the serpent's well to put the stake in the ground and to claim what was his. And brothers and sisters, I think when it gets to a place where we want to rebuild what's been taken from us and what's been destroyed and what's been torn down, I think we have to get to where we take that truthful inspection to where we get, we, we push things away, we, we, we get past the dung hell, we go past the serpent's gate, we, we get past stuff and we get down to the core that this is the issue. This is the issue why my marriage isn't working. This is the issue why life isn't being enjoyed. This is the issue why, why, why things aren't working right in my business. This is the issue of what's going on in my home. But anyway, when Nehemiah went down and he began to view, view the wall and he began to take that truthful inspection of that wall, he began to see that. And, and, and when you begin to see the ruin and when you begin to see what's been lost, a pain hits your heart. And brothers and sisters, today, and when you view a situation, when you view where you're at in life, when you view where your children are at, when you view where, uh, uh, where you're at as far as a spiritual condition, when you get to where you're viewing and you're taking a truthful inspection where you're at, how many say sometimes it causes a lot of pain? 
How many say it sometimes it, it, it brings about a lot of questions? And to me, one of the biggest questions that happens when you take a truthful inspection and when you get down and you see that everything in life is just rubbish and everything's been torn down and it seems like you're not winning and you're not winning on a daily basis and things just aren't going, going right and, and, and you just don't seem to have that grace or that, that peace that, that, that you're moving forward in life and you, you get to that place and you get to that place where you're feeling that pain. Sometimes it's easy to say this. Say this and say, hey, why is this happening? Why is this happening? What I do? Where's God in all this? God cared about me. Why is he letting all this happen? I don't even know if I believe in a God. You get where you get angry with God. Why did this happen? Why is this happening to me? In Psalms chapter 8, Carmen made mention of this. You guys don't have this in, up there. But in Psalms chapter 8, verse 4 says this. What are mere mortals that you should think about them? What are human beings that you should care for them? In other words, they, 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 the question was being asked to God, what, what, are, what are mere mortals that you're even thinking about them, God? I mean, why do you even think about them? What are human beings that you say that you even care for them? In fact, today when we were singing about the love of God, I could hear in my, I could feel and hear and see in the spiritual realm that there's people in the church today that says, yeah, God loves, God doesn't love me. God doesn't even know what's going on. God's not even thinking about me. God doesn't even know my situation. In fact, because of him is why I'm in my pain right now. Brothers and sisters, you may not realize it, but that when you get this many people together, there's people sitting in the congregation today that feel that way towards God to where they're like, what are more mortals? He's not even thinking about them. Human beings that he should care for them? Yeah, right. Where was he when this happened? Where was he when this was being done? Where was he? Where was he? Where was he? And then in verse 5, it says, but you made them, talking about human beings, it says you made them a little lower than God, and you crowned them with glory and honor. Look at this. You gave them, you, gave, you made them a little lower than God and crowned them with glory and honor. Look at this next verse. Verse 6, 8, 6. You gave them charge of everything you made. I want you to see that. You gave them charge of everything that was made, putting all things under their authority. You know, last week I was, I know the, our, the denomination that we're with, the Assemblies of God, they had their big deal um, happening in California. Anaheim was it, California, and uh, I knew we got a new district superintendent over all the assemblies of God, and so I was kind of looking into to this guy and stuff like that, but while I was looking on that web page, I saw my roommate from Bible college. When I was at Bible college, you, we had a bathroom in the middle, and then we had 
two people stay in one room. Then we shared a bathroom. Then two people were in the other room. He was my sweet mate. His name was Brian Cook. Um, some of you might even remember him. He played for the Chicago White Sox years ago as a catcher. And if you guys remember, Bill, I know you're a White Sox fan. If you guys remember a pitcher, that, a catcher that took a wild pitch and blinded him in his eye and had to quit baseball, that was my friend Brian Cook. That happened in 1986. And when that happened, he gave his heart to the Lord because his life just went, to, he, everything he lived for, playing baseball. He, he, he gave his heart to the Lord, and then he went down to the Bible college where, where we were at down there in Louisiana. And uh, while, while we were down there, um, he met a lady named Lynn, Lynn Cook, and they got married. I mean, we, I, I knew these guys. He, he was my buddy. We wrestled. We went to school together. We ate together. Well, anyway, I was reading this article, and I thought, what's he doing? Man, this guy's doing amazing. He's talking at the big thing in Anaheim. And I started reading it, and I thought it was... Um, I thought it was um, something that was misquoted or something that didn't happen. But it said, man, Brian Cuck was sharing his story about how he and Lynn was riding on their motorcycle last November. And a drunk driver hit him head on. Lynn was two weeks before she was going to be a grandma, and his wife died on the spot, Lynn, the one I went to school with, died right on the spot. Uh, Brian, the eye that was partially blind, he lost it completely. And they had to amputate his leg. And he was in ICU for over 52 days or something. Lost everything. Now, it would be very easy to say, I've given you everything, God. Where my wife's my wife died. Where were you at? You know, if I wanted to say where was God at when I was taken advantage of by a pastor. A pastor used to drug children and take them camping and then abuse them. I happened to be one of those children. We could say, God, where are you? God, where are you? Where are you in these things? You don't care. God, you not only where are you, but you, you could have stopped this. You could have, you could have something. I want to tell you another story. Come here, darling. How many of you remember, how many of you saw her singing this morning? Right now, she is, this is the month, two years ago, my brother, his wife, and their six children were brutally murdered in their home. Um, the children were ages 6 through 13. Okay. Why'd that happen? You love the Lord, don't you, Darlene? I mean, you love your brother, don't you? Aren't you bitter about this? Aren't you, well, where's God at in all this? Aren't you bitter? Aren't you angry? Because God has, he has gotten me through, uh, he has just reminded me so much of who he is. And this is 
you know, you say stuff just because it sounds good, but that's the truth. I, I, I know that there is safety in the Lord, and, and he got me in that place very quickly. And this Brian, I kept reading the article, and he talked about how hard it was to forgive this guy that was drunk. And he talked about as a pastor how hard it was because something out of his control happened to him, and it just didn't seem fair or right. I I give my whole life to the ministry, he could have said. I've given up everything for the Lord. Couldn't he have just taken, why do you have to take my wife? She didn't even get to, he, he could have went down that road, and he even said his mind went on going down that road. But then he allowed himself not to. And brothers, I'm telling you, there's some pretty messy stuff that happens in everyone's life. And I honestly think, I used to think that just a few people had stuff happen to them that didn't seem fair or right. But I think it's everybody. I think everybody that this sermon would relate to, that, that things happen that just don't seem right or fair. But what I want us to do is this, Brian, his church ran like 1,500 people. And his church, like, started getting in and supporting and praying and seeing Brian's faith that he forgave the guy that hit him. He, he was being real with him. He came out of ICU. When he got his first Sunday, when he came out of the ICU, there were 8,000 people in church, and over 100 people got saved, okay? And then um, now his church is running 4,000 people, and they're, like, in, in revival, and God took something messy, and he took something ugly, and he brings something good to it. But what I want to talk to, what I want to get in everybody's head today is God's not, if you can put that scripture back up, God's not the one that does it. God doesn't make people sick. He doesn't cause genocide. He doesn't, it's, it's not God that's doing that. And brothers and sisters, at the fall, where it says, when God created Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden and put man in it, he gave them charge of everything. Go on to six. He gave them charge of everything that he made, and he put everything under their authority. Carmen, I didn't know she was going to talk about that this morning, but when Carmen was talking about what she did, Adam and Eve, because of the sin, they handed that authority over to Satan. And even in John chapter 14, verse 30, right before Jesus was talking about going to the cross and stuff, he he said this, he said, the ruler of this world has been loosed, and he's coming after me, the ruler, Jesus called Satan the ruler of this world. The ruler of this world has been loosed, and he's coming after me, and then Jesus said, but he has nothing in me. And when Carmen talked about when Jesus said it is finished, the scripture says that as Jonah was in the belly of the well, three days and three nights, that's, that's uh, um, Matthew chapter 12, verse 40. As Jonah was in the belly of the well, three days and three nights, so shall Jesus be in the belly of the earth. Okay, before Christ did what he did on the cross, when people died, they went to a place called Abraham's bosom. You can read about that in, in several places in scripture. But when Jesus died, before Jesus' death, Satan had power over death, hell, and the grave. 
But when Jesus died, he went to the lower parts of the earth. And the Bible says in Ephesians 4 that he led captivity captive. He led him out of there. And in Matthew chapter 27, it says that, that, that people were seen walking on the streets of Jerusalem that had been dead for centuries. Abraham's and I, you know, people that had been gone for ages, they were walking in Jerusalem. And what was happening is Jesus led captivity. He, he, he had the power over, even in, in Psalm 16, when David wrote, he said, uh, Psalm 16, 10, David said, thou will not leave my soul in hell. And then in Acts 2, when Peter, Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, he talked about and he quoted how David said that he wouldn't be left in hell that he knew that Jesus would come and take him out of that place. He led captivity, captivity, captivity captive. When you die as a Christian now, when we die, to be, pre, to be absent from the body, you're present with the Lord. And that place is empty. In fact, it says where hell's borders are being enlarged, I kind of wonder if it's going over in Abraham's bosom area. The church needs to be about their business because the scripture says that hell's borders are being enlarged because so many people are going there. That we need to be about the Father's business of keeping people from going there. But, uh, but, but anyway, um, he led captivity ha- captive. Here's what happened there. Jesus took authority over death, hell, and the grave. That's good. But we still got something we're dealing with. This story I just told you. Did God have those people break in and murder her family that she said are Christians and love the Lord? No. Did God allow that? Where were you, God? Those questions come up. Man, God, Brian Cook hit with a motorcycle by drunk. Where were you, God? How could God let this happen? He didn't. We put that verse back up. When Jesus, when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, they relinquished authority and control. Brothers and sisters, um, Paul talks about that he was taken up to the third heaven. Listen to me. If he was taken up to the third heaven, it must mean that there's a one and a two. Because if he was in three, there's a one and a two. Okay, in Ephesians where it says, that where it says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness in this world, and spiritual wickedness. Listen to this. I love King James. That says that have set themselves up in high places. They are self-appointed. They are arrogant. They, 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 but, <clears throat> you know, this thought came to my mind this week when I was just praying. In the Old Testament, I'm going to come back to that, what I just said. In the Old Testament, how many knew before the flood of Noah that it had never rained? How many knew that? How many didn't know that? It had never rained. They had never seen rain before the days of Noah, okay? And when, when, when the rain happened at the days of Noah, don't just think it started raining. No, the water in the earth and the ruby dew. I mean, farmers, when we irrigate in Missouri, we dig down to the ruby dew, to that water source, and you can crank uh, irrigators, water, and corn all over for the hundreds and thousands of acres because of the water in, in there. And then the water that's in the atmosphere, 
uh, came down, but it was all different things. It was from the core of the earth, and it was, there used to be like a, like a, where you used to make those things and put flowers in it and the moisture over the thing, a catrium or whatever you call them things. What do you call them? Huh? Tritrarium. How many know what I'm talking about? There's like a bubble, okay? But that, that, that was gone. The other day I was praying about this. I still, I think that's the bubble that we call the second heaven. I think we have the earth, and then you've got a heavenly realm, which to me is like that bubble that's talked about. But then you got the third heaven, and that's where God's at. And in, in Daniel chapter 10, you see a double kingdom mentality. Because the scripture says that when Daniel... Daniel prayed for 21 days. It said that God heard him on the first day. But it says the prince of the power of Persia in the air held back the answer to prayer. That's in that spiritual realm, okay? But God said, I heard you on that first day. So God sent Michael the archangel to fight that principality of Persia so that the answer to prayer could come down. Now, brothers and sisters, whether that sounds weird or not, that is happening right now as we're speaking. That's happening. It doesn't matter if that sounds relevant and if I'm adapting to culture today and saying what preachers are supposed to say to make everybody like what they're saying. That's what the Word says is happening. That's what's happening is there is a, in the heavenlies, there is a fight going on, okay? But in the earth, would you guys put that scripture back up, please? That... Psalms 8, 6. But in the earth, man was given. If you guys just want to leave that up, it'd be great. That's probably our only place we're going today. You gave them charge over everything you made, putting all things under their authority in the earth. But then they gave it to the person that Jesus said, called him the ruler of this world. You know, when I was driving to to church today, I looked at Mo, my daughter, Logan, we call her Mo. I looked at her and I said, did you know Satan controls this earth? Satan's the ruler of this world. Did you know that? And she said, yeah, I, I know it, but you don't really think about it. No, he's the ruler of this world. He is the present rule of this world, and in that dome-like thing, in the heavenly realm, he has rulers of darkness that's in the principalities and powers and rulers of darkness are on the earth, but then there's spiritual wickedness in the heavenlies. And when Daniel prayed, he was aligning himself with, with, with God because as there was a prince of Persia in the spirit realm, there was also a king of Persia that Daniel was dealing with in the physical and brothers and sisters, when you're dealing with things in the physical, there's oftentimes a link in the spiritual that you're dealing with things. So what we have to do, that's why the scripture says, whatsoever things you bind or forbid on the earth are forbidden in the heavens. And whatsoever things you forbid or loose on the earth are loosed in the heavenlies. What that's doing is that's getting you, who are the authority of the earth, you're getting in agreement with what God's saying 
to where God in the third heaven and you on the earth, you are in parallel agreement to where God's beating beating it down on the heavenlies and in the physical realm, you're putting your feet planted on the word of God and what God says and you're standing with everything you have to stand. Adam had it. He gave it to the devil. Jesus came back and took control of death, hell, death, hell, and the grave. But the other thing he did is he gave you, the believer, how many people are in Christ? He gave you, the believer, back. You're in charge. Well, I don't feel like I'm in charge. You're in charge of everything. He put all things under your authority. If you are in Christ, the key is in Christ. Everybody say in Christ. He gave that authority back to you. People say, why pray? I just told you right there. Pray, prayer is taking the blueprints and the plans of God and establishing them on the earth with your words of authority that Jesus gave the believer. So when you pray, that's why even if you don't feel like praying about something or you see it's getting better or, or you think time's just going to finish it out, don't stop praying. Prayer is a releasing of God's plans and his purposes and his will in the earth. You're his conduit to do that. He's not using, he's not using angels to say it. He uses people to say it. Now listen, when people say it, angels move in the spirit. Do you know some things that you're dealing with, you need to pray the word of God, and what you're dealing with, you're trying to fight with carnal weapons, but really it's spiritual. And so when you do prayer, what you don't see with your physical eye Something's happening in the spirit realm where the victory's happening first there before you're seeing it in the physical. We pray for our kids, or we pray for our marriage, or we pray for a circumstance or a situation, but we don't quickly see a result or see our wife changing, or see the husband changing, or that situation where, I'm done with that, prayer don't work. Every time you pray, walls are moving. Things are coming down. Things are happening. Whether you see it or not, every time you pray, it's moving. Something's moving. You got to believe that. You also have to believe this. How many believe Christ had authority in the earth? The scripture says that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. The, the Ephesians chapter 2 talks about how we're seated with him. We, we, we operate in that same authority, but that key again is in Christ. Okay? So, back to this walls and ruins and stuff and, and the... The why. 
Why'd that happen to Brian Cuck? Why'd that happen to Darling's family? Why'd you get molested by a pastor, Pastor Brian? Why'd your dad lose the farm? Why this? Where's God? God did that to you. Where was God? I, I don't do any of that because it's the fall of man. And it's the decisions of people. And it's the evil in people's heart that do things to people. God didn't do that, cause that man to go in and murder that family. It was evil in the heart of man. It was due to the fall of man. I don't sit and say, well, where was God? I, I've, I've, well, actually, I didn't spend any time, much time with that because I know God loves me. And I know that it's people that do these things. But here's what I want to put my finger on today. If you're stuck today, if you're still in the, where was God? Why'd this happen? See, see, God's used me a lot in this, in helping people with this, because it was done to me. And I say that anything that's happened bad to you, the way you turn it to God's glory is take what the devil meant to destroy and use it for God's good and helping people. And, and showing them a better way. But um, I remember one time, one of the hardest things I had to do, there was a, a girl, Carmen and I have always had people living with us, girls, guys. We've always opened up our, our home and tried to help people. But I remember one time there was this girl living with us and that we were trying to minister to, and she had a horrible life. She wasn't loved by her father. Her parents got divorced. She had that same thing happen to her that I shared to happen to me. And um, for months, we would sit at the table, and we would cry, and, and I would be compassionate and sympathetic, and I would hurt with her and stuff. But one day, God had me look at her, and I grabbed her hands. And I said, I know that you've been dealt a bad hand. I know that you were abused by a family member. I, I know that. I have compassion on that. But right, and I was real bold, and I said, but you got to come out of that. You've you got to just walk. You, come out of that. Come out of that. I know it happened, but it's time to move on. And I, I see people that are stuck, stuck by something dad did to them when they was a kid. I remember trying to put a screw in a wall and shaking and remember hearing anger yells and how stupid you are. Now, I can sit and say, oh, it hurts so bad. But there comes a time where I say, I'm going to get over that. I'm going to move on. I'm going to rebuild. I'm going to rebuild. I know this happened. I know that happened. We can't change what happened. But the way I look at it, people are stuck, and he's already gotten, I mean, if you're 30, and it, something happened to you when you, say your parents got divorced when you was 15, and it's just screwed you up ever since then. I mean, the devil's won for 15 years, 
and, and made you feel rotten every day. Look at that ruin. Yeah, the walls are down. It's burned with fire. It's a disgrace what's going on. But in that scripture, you see the guy said, but we will rebuild. We will rebuild. And guys, there, listen to this. There is potential in brokenness. There's amazing potential in brokenness, true brokenness. When you're truly broken, when you're truly broken down, um, I wrote this down. When you're truly broken, true brokenness is actually stimulating. I want you to think about this a minute. A person that's truly broken, it's at, brokenness is actually stimulating. It's a great release of power. False brokenness, here's false brokenness. False brokenness is this, regret, fear, guilt, shame, condemnation. See, those things are condemnation, flashbacks. Do you know that 60-year-olds, one of the, I, I was told the biggest thing that they deal with is regret? Regret. Regrets. And see, all that stuff can bring you to that place where you think there's a brokenness, but that's not a godly brokenness. That's just a brokenness where the enemy's like breaking you. But godly brokenness, godly brokenness is not guilt, shame, regret, you're an idiot, you're stupid, you're always going to be like this, nothing's ever going to happen good for you. It breaks you down. You're never going to be happy. You're going to be depressed the rest of your life. I've already got 15 years of your life. I'm going to have the next 15. All, that breaks you, but you're never rebuilt. But godly brokenness is, has potential in it. And godly brokenness is stimulating. It lets you be able to view it and say, this happened. This happened. This is happening in my marriage. This happened in my marriage. This happened to me at my work. This happened to me in relationship. This, this happened to me. I recognize that. I caused it. You might even get to the point where you say, I caused it. Or you get to the point where you say, I had nothing to do with it. It was out of my control. It wasn't fair. It's all okay, too. But you get to that point of true brokenness. It releases the greatest power known to mankind. It releases forgiveness. Brokenness releases forgiveness. Brokenness heals. The Bible says the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. The Bible says to the broken that he will forgive them and he'll never again remember the bad that's happened to him. God rebuilds the broken in Isaiah 57, 14. He says this, rebuild the road, clear away the rocks and the stones. In other words, where, where people are in some of their lives today, God's saying, we're going to rebuild this road. First, let's clear away the rocks and the rubble and the stones because my people's going to return from captivity and then it says, the high and lofty one in eternity, the holy one says this. God says this. I live in the holy place with those. God says, here's where, where I live. With those whose spirits are contrite and humble. 
God says, I restore the crushed spirit of the humble, and I revive the courage of those with repentant hearts. God's the God of the broken. Um, in your, in your um, note things, does everybody see that deal that says the 52-day plan? Does everybody see that, the 52-day plan? I want to say this. If you get to a point, I want everybody to everybody hear this today. If you get to a point and you say, I'm tired of feeling like I am. I'm tired of life being like it is. I want a change in my life. It really can happen in 52 days. Do you know God God change really can happen in 52 days. Now listen to this. On rebuilding that wall, that wall was 2.4 miles was the approximate length. Everybody think of 2.4 miles was the length of the wall. Now then I want you to think about this. 39 feet was the average height. If everybody looks up at the, st- at the, the, the corners where you see that black line, that's 35 feet. Okay, that's 35 feet to that black line. So imagine four more feet. 39 feet was the height of the wall. 2.4 miles was how long it was. And then it was an eight feet thickness. And eight feet would be about from right here to about right there. So you're seeing a wall that high, that wide, 2.4 miles long. 34 watchtowers, you guys think about those stairwells we walk up, that's like a watchtower, 34 of those that you have to build, seven gates, and two minor gates. You're telling me they did that in 52 days, and this guy wasn't even a builder, he was a cup build, he was a cup bearer, he wasn't even a builder. They did it in 52 days. If the kitchen downstairs to coordinate the uh, appliances and the and the um, cabinets and the floor and the sheetrock, we 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 wouldn't even be able to do a thirty by forty room in fifty two days. Think about that. In fifty two days, that work was completed. And I felt the Lord say to tell people, when you take an honest look and you see that your life is in ruins and, and you don't like where, you're, where things are at, listen to me, it can change in 52 days. What are you saying, Pratt? Your situation can change in 52 days. It can start today. It can start today. And, and I felt the Lord say, you challenge people. And you say, give yourself wholeheartedly to God for 52 days and 52 days from here. Let's see where you are now, where you are right now, where you're sitting. I felt God say that. And on the back of your sheets, I tried to put some examples. I want you to read that Nehemiah, but but Nehemiah got the supplies got people to buy into his vision, uh, 
showed them the vision, the mission, and all that stuff, executed the plan. It was done in 52 days. The reason I gave this to you is I think you have to have a plan. If you want your marriage to get better, I think it has to, what's, what's the vision for your marriage? Does everybody have this? Really look at that. What's the vision for your marriage? Maybe counseling is part of it. Maybe some techniques where you have a night out. Uh, maybe you're saying, we're going to start praying and reading the Bible together. Um, maybe, uh, guys, maybe there needs to be some deliverance. Maybe there needs to be some inner healing. Maybe there needs to be a small group or support group. Maybe the man needs to say, I'm going to get in a men's group. Maybe the woman needs to say, I'm going to get in a women's group. That's what I'm talking about with blueprints or a plan. Maybe I need to assemble some people with me. Maybe I need to quit getting up every Sunday and say, am I going to go to church today or not? Maybe I need to quit getting up every morning and say, am I going to live for the Lord or not today? Where we say, I'm going to live for the Lord I'm going to read the word daily. I'm going, to, I'm going to pray. Here's something I had to do personally. When I came to the Lord, I had to cut off relationships because I knew that if I got around certain situations, I'd be back doing the exact thing that I was doing. Another thing I had to give up was video games. When I gave my heart to the Lord, I found myself into those video games. All the Dungeons and Dragons was just come out. Do you think there's something positive being in front of video games and, and um, playing around with the dark side of stuff when you're trying? Give that up. 52 days. Give up something. Give the video games up. Say, whenever church is open, I'm going to be in church. If there's a men's group and I'm a man, I'm going to be at it. If there's a women's group and I'm a woman, I'm going to be at it. I'm going to read my Bible whether I feel like it, whether I understand it when I read. I'm going to go to church. I'm going to adjust my schedule so I can go to church. I'm going to get counseling. If I need to come up and renounce some things and be delivered, I'm going to renounce some things and be delivered. If I need to, to, to get with a friend and tell them something horrible that I need to let loose out of my heart where I can get some inner healing, then I need to do that. Whatever, whatever your master print looks like, we need to get it. We need to get it down. We need to have the plan of God. The Bible says Nehemiah carried the plans of God with him. And then he put the people around him and then he executed the plan. In 52 days, his situation was changed. In 52 days, your situation can change. With things like me, when I came to the Lord, the mess that was handed God, it doesn't happen overnight. There, there, were, there were like episodes where God set something up and I was in a car with a friend and I just start sharing a hurt and they pray with me. That built the wall up. I went to church and the preacher preached something. I went up and, and I renounced some things. I know I'm hurting myself. I went and did some counseling. Here, here's another one I want to throw in there that I want to put.
put in there is I believe some people need medicine. And some people say, well, you need to believe God for healing. So do you when you're taking your heart medicine. So do you when you're taking your sugar diabetes medicine. So do you when you're taking your medicine for your headache. I believe that some people on, on, on medications, like I know, I know a person that could handle diabetes with diet, but they hide chocolates and they hide food, carbohydrates, and then they go eat at the Chinese restaurant, all-you-can-eat buffet, and then their legs swell up, and they're pulling their shirt up, giving themselves insulin. I don't like medicine to be abused like that. I think that's an abuse of medicine for lack of discipline. Some people go to medicines for the mind that I don't think they, they need it, probably, like the diabetes. That, it could, that, that their emotions and their depression could be handled with proper diet, um, dealing with some things in their life that causes it. But some people have a deficiencies in their chemicals where they need help. And I, I, and I think it's time for, the, for people to realize that, that some people need medicine. And it is not a lack of faith or a weak person if they have to do it. You don't think that about somebody that takes heart disease medicine. What's the difference? But anyway, I'm just telling you that in your blueprint, I think there's lots of things that you need. And don't look for it to be one thing that fixes you. It may be a combination of things. Are you all with me today? All right. We hope this message connected with you. To get more information about Church on the Rock, check out our website at www.cotrag.org or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Have a blessed day.